we're going to get into this word because it could take forever, and I'm going to try to make it really short. I'm going to try to make it like Jason short. And uh, so it, uh, but it's one of those things, the Lord's been speaking this to me for a couple months, just uh, the the title I put to it is, do you look the part, and uh, do you look the part, and and as God's been speaking it to me, there's been so many things over the last couple of months that just keep reiterating this very thought. And uh, but it's there's so much to it. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to. I don't want us to get the wrong impression of of do we look the part. I don't want us to think that like I don't know. We're just going to pray and we're going to let the Lord speak. But before we pray, uh, I'm going to read 1 Samuel 13 and 14, and it says, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for who you are, Lord. I pray, God, that as we get into your word today, as we get into your message, God, that I would get out of your way and you would speak to us, Lord. I pray we would receive exactly what you have for us, Lord. And anything I would speak that's not of you, Lord, it would fall on deaf ears. Father God, I pray you would you would completely change us and, and let us receive what you have for our good, Lord, and for your good, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh I read this and does anybody know what Saul did here that God had punished him? What Saul actually did here, a lot of times we think the, the main thing Saul did was you know, there's a point in time where God got really angry at him and told him to go out and wipe out all these people and all their animals, and he didn't do it. He kept the animals, right? But that, that actually isn't what he did wrong here. What Saul did wrong here was he was about to go to battle. Samuel wasn't there to offer a sacrifice. And so Saul, what, what it says before this, Saul says that he had to force himself to make a sacrifice so the Lord would give him victory at war. And that's whenever he gets done with his sacrifice, and Samuel said, you have done foolishly. And uh, you think of everything people have done wrong in Scripture. That sounds less wrong than what most people have done. But the problem is, in his heart, he's trying to get God to do what he wants God to do. The sacrifice had nothing to do. It's kind of like with uh, Cain. His sacrifice was out of a selfish thing. It was out of, I'm going to give you this so you can do what I want done kind of thing. So his sacrifice was, it was a foolish sacrifice. It wasn't uh, pleasing to God in any way. But then he says in that very verse, uh, further down in 14, he says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And uh, something the, the, that really stuck with me this week, I was listening to a guy, uh, a pastor out of Texas, and he was speaking uh, about Second Timothy. And, 
and he's talking about in there where Paul talks about how he he fought the good fight. You know, he finished the race well and how good he has done, which I always like Paul because Paul, when he writes, is very confident about how good he's doing, right? But he's also very accepting of how messed up he is at the same time. So, like, there's that, that humble balance of, I'm a wretched man, but look at all the good God's doing in me, right? And uh, and this man sharing this about how great that is, he said that whenever he, uh, he said when he dies, he hopes at his funeral there would be people who would stand up and say, that was a good godly man. That was a guy who who was on fire for God. That was a man that 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 fought the good fight. Right, who finished the race, and it, and it rubbed me wrong. I thought, like, when I die, I don't really care what people say. Right, I don't care if people say, I, "I man, that guy was so good. He did so good for the Lord." And yet, when I die, Jesus doesn't say that. I don't really care what you think. Right, you can think I looked the part, but Jesus is the only one who knows. Right, I know, and Jesus knows. Right? So we have to be careful that we're not trying to look the part. Saul looked every bit the part of a king. That's why they wanted Saul. He was big, he was tough, he was rugged. He just looked like the kind of guy you wanted for your king. He looked the part, but he wasn't. Right? It, uh, and we got to be careful of that. We don't want to be that the, the kind of people who look like we got it right. Like we don't want to look like, man, he's doing everything perfect. And, and uh, I'm going to jump around in my notes because I want to go to uh, Matthew 23 first. And I, I, I've shared here many a times. I've shared it in, in men's group also and, and probably in prayer. And do you know probably everybody just about in Scripture except for maybe like Daniel and a few like that. There's there's a few of the prophets who may be in leadership nowadays. A lot wouldn't, but uh, many would. But I don't know if anybody in the New Testament would be allowed to lead in a church nowadays. I don't know that that would happen. Because just the way they were, we would have been like, no, we can't put them in front of people. Right? I mean, you look at Paul himself. Paul himself was a murderer, you know, he was bringing down uh, the Christians of the time, and he was trying to stop the movement of what he called the way. And he gets radically saved, and even the other believers are scared of him. And we would say, hey, we can't put him in, in leadership. Nobody's going to trust him. They're scared. And so we would have never gave him a chance, right? And uh, But then the people who of that time period that looked like they had it together was the Pharisees. They did everything right. So much so that Jesus even said, do the things they tell you to do. Right? Just don't look like them. Don't be like them. But they look very much the part. And, and if, you, if you lined up what you thought would be a good leader in the church today, opposed to the ones that you wouldn't think were good leaders in the church today, I would think most of our thought processes of a good leader would probably line up more with the Pharisees than with Peter, right? That's what I would think. I'm not positive, but I would think that if we were being honest. Now, there are people who have lived rough lives that become leaders, and when we start seeing the fruit of what they're doing, that we're like, 
Oh, yeah, they got it. But it's not until we start seeing the fruit that we, we're willing to come alongside them sometimes. But in Matthew 23, it says, uh, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. But don't do the works they do. And uh, that reminds me of Saul and David. Right, Saul was the king. David was anointed to be the next king. Saul was doing wrong, trying to kill David. Yet David still obeyed the authority of Saul. Right, he would not touch God's anointed. And and Jesus is saying these Pharisees were put in this place, and you need to listen to them and do what they say. Just don't act like they do. Right, and he says, uh, "For they preach, but they do not practice." They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. And I I read that, and I think about how many times have I heard people, uh, Jason shared it the other week in in his message, which was beautiful, the the thought process of we are harder on the people outside of the church than we are on the people inside of the church. But even those like that, when people come and they, they may be new and they, you know, they come in and they say the sinner's prayer and they may get baptized. And next thing you know, they're out doing crazy stuff. And we're quick to say, oh, they just didn't get it. Right? Oh, man, they failed. It wasn't real. Instead of coming alongside them and saying, hey, look, you're struggling. Let's help you. Right? We're, we get you know, in a pharisaical way of saying, you know, hey, well, you can't live like that. Therefore, you know, you're not saved. And we got to be careful putting a burden on somebody that they can't even carry. And, and you know, I, I heard uh, what really put this on my heart was I heard a young man talk about a guy who was baptized at his church. And, uh, and they put a picture up on a mural of the guy being baptized. And a month later, the guy's out, out of church and he's back on drugs. And he said, they really messed up putting him up on that mural. But that ain't for him to decide, right? That, that's not for us to decide. People struggle when they get saved. We struggle when we get saved. The problem is a lot of times we're trying to look the part more than actually living the part, right? God said he was looking for a man after his own heart. Saul looked the part of a king, but his heart wasn't after God. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to get ahead of myself says, they do all the, their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries uh, broad and their fingers long, fringes long. So the phylacteries were the ones where you would have your prayers, your box of prayers and the things and, and scriptures and show just how much you know. And then your, your fringes were your prayer fringes. And the longer they were, the better you were at praying. And it's supposed to be this holier-than-thou type thing. And it... uh something we don't really do now, but, and it says, and they love the places of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. And I think a lot of times in churches, we can get to the point to where we want people to see that we got to, we got to go on. And when somebody would come up and say, man, you are a godly man, you are a godly woman, you know, you really got it together. And we, we, 
We like hearing that because it means that they're noticing what we're doing. Right? Wow, okay, they notice what, what I'm doing. But it doesn't really matter what you're doing in front of people. It matters where your heart is behind the scenes. It matters where your heart is whenever people aren't around. And he's talking about we do things to be seen. They were doing it to be seen. And sometimes we are good Christians when people are around. And we do everything that needs to be done right when people see us. But whenever we get home or we're alone, is it still there? Where's our heart? Right? Is it, I'm going to be a good Christian when people can see me, but now I'm tired and I'm just going to sit around. Right? And then I'll go seek God whenever I need something. Then you go down to verse 11, and it says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And uh, the Pharisees were never going to serve because it was beneath them. They were never going to be at the point to where uh, they were truly going to be humbled. They always wanted themselves to be seen as better. We, we've all seen people in places whenever something's a mess and they're not like, ain't my job. Right? That's what, that would have been a pharisaical type thought process. That ain't my job. Somebody gets paid to do that. Why would I do that? Right? Or I didn't make that mess or I didn't create this problem or whatever reason. That's what they would do. And then I'm going to get into these sayings of Jesus that I always love. And it says, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I always love that. It uh, because he says it over and over, and they're there, <laughs> they're hearing him say this. And we talked in men's group yesterday about how people like to think Jesus was just this overly nice, calm guy all the time. Who, who you know, I call him the hippie Jesus that most people know that he just was so loving and never would say anything to hurt anybody's feelings. But then you see in these words like this where he says. Woe to you, Pharisees, our scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you never enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. And... uh on the outside, these guys would have looked apart. They would have been, uh, they would have been fulfilling laws. They would have been, um, they would have been making disciples. They would have been bringing people into their their way of doing things. And a lot of times, we can do that. We can get to the point to where we tell people how they should act, and they will start acting that way. We'll start training them in the way they should look and the way they should do things, and and we can do that very well. We can tell people how they should be living, yet we never show them who they're living for. We never actually show them the kingdom of heaven. And so they're living through legalism. They're, le- le- they're fulfilling the laws. They're doing everything right that they should ever do right, yet they truly don't know God. They don't have a heart for God, after God. And that's where these Pharisees were. They were living in a way that looked very much the part of a great person. And in their time, they probably were the best people around as far as their actions, right? Except for their hearts were hardened and, and evil.
they wouldn't let people in unless they were doing right. And, uh, and I think sometimes the church can get that way, where we want people to be the part before we allow them to be around us, right? It says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has, uh, has made the gold sacred? And you say, if, you, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. And this is always kind of confusing to people because we don't do these kind of things anymore. But it's what he's trying to point out is, is you think the things you bring to God are what matter. You think the things you're doing, the sacrifices you're making, what you're providing is what God is seeking. But it's not. It's who you're giving it to that matters. What matters in anything we do is the one we're doing it for. It's God. The altar wouldn't matter if it wasn't God's altar. It wouldn't matter what you sacrificed. When Saul sacrificed, he was not sacrificing to God on God's altar. It wasn't even his place to sacrifice. He didn't even have the right to do it in that moment. But it has nothing to do with what we're doing or what we bring or how we bring it. It has everything to do to the one who we bring it to. The altar we're putting it on. Who we're, we're serving, how we're serving, doesn't matter as much as who we're serving. Right? We have to remember that how we live doesn't matter as much as who we live for. And I know I've got to be careful with that. That's why I want to be careful with this. I don't want to say, I don't want to sound like I'm saying go out and do whatever you want. Because then you're doing that for yourself also. Right? It's who you're living for and how you're living. And, uh, it says, uh, You blind men, for which is greater? I already did that part. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swear, swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And that's the same thing. It's all about God. I, I, I know we talked about this many times, but if you are serving the Lord to make it to heaven, you have your whole priorities wrong. Our relationship with God should be all about being close to the Lord. The only reason why heaven is heaven is because Jesus is there. If Jesus wasn't there, it would just be another hell. Right? So, so many people want to make it to heaven. You hear them say, all I care is that I make it to heaven. So-and-so's in heaven. Well, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you'll never be in heaven. And that's why some people, the closest they'll get to heaven is right here. Because they get to come into churches where people know Jesus Christ, and they get to be around people who know Jesus, and that's the closest heaven they'll ever know. And they'll never know him personally if we're not the ones showing them. Right? The Pharisees were shutting the kingdom of heaven people's face, and we can't do that. We can never do that. And it, uh, we have to make sure it is open to everybody, and we're open to people. What do you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites? I wasn't going to keep saying that over and over, but I just love that line. It, uh, 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And this is the very thought process of sometimes we, we're like, okay, I'm going to give my 10%. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make sure I'm doing communion. And I'm going to do everything I need to do that God calls me to do. But he's saying if you're not serving the Lord and you're not taking care of people and loving people and, and, and actually doing the right things along with that, those things you're doing are good. But there's so much more that needs done. There's so much more you should be doing. Right? And it all comes from the heart of God. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. And uh, I uh, always find this funny. If you know somebody who drinks a lot of coffee, right, Joe? We don't clean as much of the inside of the cup as we do the outside of the cup. <laughs> the, uh, but that's he's trying to point out, look, it doesn't matter what your outside looks like. I've met some really rough-looking people that were some of the greatest servants of the Lord I've ever seen. Jason and I met last year, I think it was last year or the year before, a guy who used to be homeless who was serving the homeless people in Evansville, and all he wanted to do was share the love of God to them. And if you've seen that man, you would think like, wow, he is rough looking. You would have never thought he was a servant of God, but God didn't care how he looked. He cared what was on the inside. And I... I I know Jason and I both walked away from it, moved by this man. But he wasn't the one we thought when we got there would be the one who was to affect our lives so much, right? doesn't matter what we look like. Usually most people are drawn to the one who looks like Saul, not the one who looks like David, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like... Whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of the dead, of dead people's bones and are all unclean. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And uh, I'm, I'm careful to share, I'm, I won't share names of people we've seen like this, but we have seen over the last few years, countless amounts of great ministers who people would always refer to as great godly men who were doing great ministries that were seen all over the world. And after they pass, all these dark things come out that they were doing that were hidden in the past, things that were never brought to light and things they were trying to hide from everybody. And I'm not saying they weren't saved, but I am saying... Those kind of things don't need to be hidden in your life, right? Those kind of things should be the things that are brought out and cleansed. And he's saying you look very much the part on the outside around people, but what's on the inside is what I'm looking at. And I can name names, and all of you would just shake your head and thought I, I thought that one was good, and I thought that one was good. And we got to be careful. I don't want to be the kind of person that whenever I get to Jesus 
And everybody down here is like, yeah, he, he had it going on. And I get up to Jesus, and he was like, you're a whitewashed tomb. There would be nothing scarier than that moment. I mean, I would probably be like, yeah, but did you hear all those people down there? That's probably what I would probably try to say. And he'd be like, yeah, because you deceived them. Right? I don't want to be that person. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, your serpents, your brood, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? And uh, I think, you know, I, I know around our church we talk about this a lot. Most of us realize, like, if we would have been in the time of Egypt and we got to come out, we probably would have grumbled, right? I think most of us will admit that if Jesus said he had to die and we were one of the apostles, we would have said, no, you're not going to die, right? And if he would have said, hey, you guys are all going to turn from me, I would have been right there with Peter and be like, not me. Everybody else may, but you know who I am. I'm Peter, and I'm, I would have been right there. I'm like, look, dude, I'm Eddie, and I'm loyal. I'm staying with you. Right, I would have. I, I, you can look at the the way they acted in those days and try to pretend like you're better off than them, and we're not. And that's what he's trying to say. They were doing it. I, I find comfort in the fact that even in Jesus's time, they were looking at the prophets as how could they mess that up. But I look at it and I think, man, I still mess it up, and I got an example. Right? And we got to be careful not to think we have it figured out. We have to be careful to think that we're not, we're not right. We're not okay. Like, no, I'm good. I got this figured out. And I'm telling you, we don't. We don't have it figured out. And, uh, but God does, and that's what matters. And, uh, we want to look at, uh, I want to talk about David for a minute. I'm not actually going to read it because there's a lot with David. In 2 Samuel 11, David's already king, the man after God's own heart. And uh, I always find it interesting. He was the man after God's own heart, but he was a shepherd that his dad didn't even recognize that he had anything to offer. His own dad didn't think there was much to him. Because he didn't even bring him to the house whenever he showed all the sons of Samuel to get him to raise up his king. And Samuel had to say, these aren't the ones. Is there any more? He goes, yeah, I got one more son, but he's with the sheep. And almost like discounting him to a point of this, that won't ever work. Yet he was the one God noticed, right? And then he gets so much like... We watch David, and we see the Psalms, and we see things of his heart. His heart was so much for God, but he gets to a point to where he's in 2 Samuel 11, and we know that he doesn't go out to war like he's supposed to. He's supposed to go to war, and he decides to stay back. I kind of get it because, you know, his mighty men were going out to battle, and the mighty men were awesome. They were going to win the battle. 
but he was still supposed to be there. And I think sometimes we do that in our lives that we say things like, oh, well, yeah, Keith and Jason are doing that. Even though I felt like I was supposed to, they don't really need me. I can stay back, right? Or, you know, there's going to be plenty of people over there. I know I, I was supposed to go, but I'm okay over here. And we do that. We do that a lot. We we don't do the things God's calling us to do because, well, we just don't really feel like we need to, like we have to. And so we know that he's up on his roof and he's checking out Bathsheba and he likes what he sees, mostly probably because she was bathing and, and he saw everything and he goes over or he sends over his servant. He uh, pretty much forces himself on Bathsheba because she can't say no. He's a king. He sleeps with Bathsheba, gets her pregnant. Decides he's going to try to cover it up by bringing her husband Uriah back from war, who was one of the most loyal people. He was one of his mighty men, and David's mighty men were very, very, very loyal to David. They were great servants, and they just they would do anything for him. And so David said, "Hey, man, I just want you to be able to go home, and you know, you sleep with your wife, do what you can do." And he's trying to cover it up, but Uriah, we know, sleeps on the steps, and he says, "No." Why the other men are out serving you and doing what they're supposed to be doing, I won't be enjoying myself. I want to go back out and serve. And so David rewards him by giving him a letter to take back into battle to Joab. Great reward. Sends him back where he wants to. And the, and the letter says, hey, uh, yeah, put Uriah on the front line. And right whenever he gets into the heat of battle, everybody withdraw and let him be be slain, and that's exactly what happens. That's a great friend in David, you know. Guy's so loyal to him, and he has him killed. And uh, yet he's the man after God's own heart. All Saul did was made a, a wrongful sacrifice. And, and by a human standpoint, we would look at Saul as being the better of the two. Right by human standpoint, but God doesn't look at the human standpoint. God doesn't look at our means of judging people because we're not the judge. He looks at the person's heart. And if you've ever read Psalm fifty-one and you see David's heart in this matter when Nathan comes and speaks to him, and I'm not going to read Psalm fifty-one because it's long, but if you read Psalm fifty-one, he is heartbroken at this matter once it's revealed of what he's done. And he actually even says in that psalm, which really blows my mind is I've only sinned against you, God. We know he's sinned against all these people. But his heart is only focused on what God thinks. And uh, we often worry about what other people are going to think about us, and all David's thinking about is, oh my goodness, it's only you that I've sinned against. You're the only one that matters. And uh, he didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care about if Bathsheba would leave him. He didn't care about if the mighty men would stick around. All he cared about was what God thought. And all Saul cared about was winning a battle. He didn't care what God thought, right? Then in Acts 13 it says, And then, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul and the son of Kish, the man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, 
of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to you, brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he has promised. And a worship team can come on up. We're going to close this out. But here is David, a man after God's own heart who will do all my will, is the way God's seen him. Because of his heart, God never seen him as uh, a murderer, as a an adulterer. God didn't see that stuff. He saw his heart. He saw the one who was after him, not the one who looked apart, the one who was being the part, right? And uh, as I said, do we look the part? I, I, I'm nervous of that. I'm nervous that if I die and people were to say, Eddie was a godly man, and I looked the part, but I get to heaven and I find out my heart wasn't after God, right? I wasn't a man after God's own heart. And you know, that's the only person he ever said that about. He didn't say it about Daniel, Yet look at Daniel. Daniel was awesome. Like we look at Daniel, he's probably one of the greatest people in all of Scripture. But he didn't say it about him. He didn't say it about Isaiah, who's right up there with Daniel. He didn't say it about uh, Josiah. He didn't say it about any of the other people who were leading, who looked way better than David. He said it after David. And if we read Psalms and we see David's heart, we see why he says that. David's heart was so on fire for the Lord, and he messed up over and over. He did dumb stuff. Yet all he cared about was God. And uh, I'm not saying we do dumb stuff. I'm saying we need to care about God. And and uh, a story came to me while we were in worship. I'm going to close with this story. And uh, it's odd that it didn't come to me until worship because it just happened last Sunday night. And uh, Sunday evening we were at a UBC board meeting, and Elise heard the story. She knows it. And it, uh, there's a lady there who has struggled with drugs for a lot of years, off and on. But she knew the Lord. And even though she couldn't get off of drugs, she always knew she was a, a woman after God's own heart, she said. And I don't know why I didn't even think of this until I got into worship today. But she would be, she would be high. And people would talk about God and she would be correcting them and showing them who God was. And she knew she was wrong and she was being hypocritical, but she couldn't stop. Because her heart ached so much for God, but she just couldn't get right. And about a year ago, the Lord delivered her from all of it. Right? And she's living for the Lord and she just wants to serve the Lord. And she don't even know how yet. But she just knows she wants to be where God's people are. And she wants to love God. She wants to be close to God. And she knows there's nowhere else she can go. Yet through all of her struggles, everybody wrote her off. She had this heart for God. And people were just like, no, you're just ate up with drugs. And we've all met people like that. We've all met people who just like, you can see they want God, but they just can't get right. And maybe we need to just love them. Because God's looking for people with, with a heart for Him. A person after His own heart is what He's looking for. 
He's not looking for somebody who looked like a godly man. Right? The Pharisees looked like godly people. It says in Scripture, you look godly, but you have no part of me. Right? And it, uh, we need not to judge people who are seeking the Lord no matter where they're at or how they look. But we also need to examine ourselves and make sure we're not like the Pharisees who look the part but don't have the heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that one. I would rather be the person who is struggling with heavy sin and have a heart for God than I would be the person who's not struggling with sin and thinking I'm okay in myself. I'd rather be the one who wasn't struggling so much and still had a heart for God. But if I had a choice, I'm going to take that person who's got the heart for God. If we want to disciple people, if we want to lead people to Christ, it takes having a heart for Christ to be able to do so. But if you never lead anybody to Christ, at least you still have a heart for God. And uh, I don't know. If you read in 1 Corinthians 13 and it tells you all the stuff that people do and don't have love, God don't care what you do if you don't have love for Him. If your heart's not set on Him, it doesn't matter. I'm going to close us in prayer. I'm sure we'll do a little worship song. If you need prayer, I'm here. Uh, mostly I've just set our hearts on God. So Father God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I, I want to apologize, Lord, for the times that, that it's been more about me than you, Lord. The times where I was more like Saul than I was David, Lord. God, help us to just have a heart after you, Lord. Help us to be the kind of people, God, that aren't so concerned what other people see, Lord but we're more concerned by what you see. We're more concerned by pleasing you, by being close to you, God. Father God, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If we please you, Lord, the right people are pleased. So let us live in that way, Lord. Let our hearts be so set on you, Lord, that nothing else will matter. Father God, I pray you would just search us today, Lord. And you'd help us to get there, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to tell them, well, first thing you need to do is get help to get off your drugs, or first thing you need to do is to, to get out of that lifestyle, or, you know, whenever that's our first thought is to address the sin and the legalism in it, 
That's what the Pharisees were doing. They would point out what people were doing wrong and tell them they need to do it right. And they weren't pointing people to Jesus. They weren't pointing people to God. And our first reaction to everybody should always be to share Jesus. To show them who God is. And to love them right where they're at. Most people would not be on drugs right now if they could get off of them. So the last thing they need us to do is to tell them to get off drugs. They've tried. What they need is somebody to show them who Jesus is and come alongside them and help them to get there. And if you're struggling with something and you can't get over it, you just can't stop, you can't stop, you're not going to stop on your own. You need to talk to somebody and let them love you through it, help you through it. Don't beat yourself up and say, I'm I'm all messed up. I just keep getting this wrong. Yeah. You're not God. You're going to keep getting stuff wrong. Don't give up. Just keep your heart set on God and get help you need. And, uh, but don't go to help. Get help from somebody who's legalistic. Somebody who's going to heap more and more laws on you. Go to those who are going to love you through it. Who are going to be there with you through it. Right? And, uh, yeah, we need to be those people with a heart after God. I'm going to pray. I love you guys. Father God, I thank you for who you are. God, I pray that this word would just sink in, Lord. Lord, if there was anything, anything of me in it, God, I pray that it would just dissolve and it'd be gone. But we'd hear what you're speaking to us today, Lord. I pray as we go throughout our week, Lord, that we would be people so focused on you. that we won't even have to think about the laws. We won't have to think about if we're doing it right or wrong because we'll be doing what you're calling us to do. We'll be the ones who will do your will. Be with us, Lord. I pray you keep everybody safe. God, let your time with you this week just be so intimate and beautiful, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.